Morning, Bethel. Two follow-ups from um, um, Well, Barry. How are you doing? Good. Um, two follow-ups from Bill's uh, announcements. One, visitors, just to be clear, you're not signing up for life if you do join us now. Um, you're certainly welcome to join us for life, but that's not part of the requirements on the front end. Um, and then secondly, um, he, he asked me to mention home groups. Uh, we have home groups tonight, and if you're not aware of what those are, that is our primary means of care and shepherding and living out the one another's here at Bethel. Um, so there are six of them at this point, and uh, you can see in the bulletin on the bottom right-hand side the places and times. Um, you can call any of those leaders if you need some information. Uh, maybe home group leaders, can you raise your hand just so that visitors can see where you are? Look around. Um, so, anyway, we'd love to have you join us. Uh, we have a meal together. Some of them actually have just kind of a snack or dessert type thing. Um, but good for conversation, to know each other, and to be known, and then also to discuss um, the message from the morning and talk about application. Are we really living this out in our lives and helping each other down that path? And then also just a time of, of prayer and accountability and encouragement as well. So... Uh, really encourage you if you're not a part of a home group or if you're visiting and you want to join one tonight, you're welcome to join any of them. They would be glad to have you. Um, so just wanted to mention that as well. Okay, well, we have uh, been out of the book of Luke for three weeks because of Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday and then also last week as well, kind of a follow-up on the Easter Sunday message. Um, so we are going to be back in the book of Luke as we've been walking slowly through uh, th- through this book. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, you'll find our text for this morning. <clears throat> if you're using a pew Bible, at least, you'll find the text on page 1038. And if you happen not to have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. We have some Bibles out at the Welcome Center You'd be welcome to have one of those if, if you don't have one. Well, it, it probably wouldn't take much uh, to get most of us in the room thinking about and worrying about something. Thinking about it and then quickly to the worrying part. Okay? Last week we talked about how oftentimes we wake up in the morning and what happens? The mind starts going and we start getting anxious about certain things that may or may not happen in the day. And oftentimes, um, as I mentioned last week, we get derailed because we end up listening to ourselves rather than reminding ourselves of truth, preaching the truth of the gospel to ourselves each day. So on a daily basis, you and I can give ourselves a lot of reasons to worry Okay, whether it's something upcoming at work or a family situation or a financial situation or whatever it is, we start to think about it. And we play out all these what ifs. And before we even get out of the shower, the house is in foreclosure and, you know, everything's a mess. So we can give ourselves all kinds of reasons to worry. You know, some of us can certainly go through some days where we have a vague sense of anxiety. And the source of it might be hard to pin down. But most of the time, our worries tend to have reasons and arguments underneath them, whether we recognize it or not. Okay, so we can do that by providing them ourselves. The news can give us plenty of reasons to worry and be anxious. Your employer or your employees can do that, give you lots of reasons to worry Your social security statement that comes in the mail can give you reason to worry. Maybe what your doctor says. Maybe the performance of your retirement account. Maybe what your CFP is saying to you. Maybe it's your teacher or your parents. We can get bombarded with all kinds of reasons to be anxious and to be fearful. And we will either believe them, those reasons, or not. And I think 
sometimes what we do is we, we think that worry is so natural and we can't help it. And we think that not worrying, in fact, sometimes I think these commands of Jesus, don't be anxious for anything, you know, Paul in Philippians 4 or Jesus in Matthew 6, don't be anxious about your life. I just think that's just unrealistic. Are you kidding me? Do you know what I'm going through? And we think that not worrying, but trusting in God like Jesus says or like Paul says is so hard. I mean, it just seems like it's almost impossible. Worry seems to be as natural as breathing, and trusting seems to be as hard as running a marathon. But what we don't realize is that worrying is running. It's just running in the wrong way, or maybe running in place or on a treadmill. Okay? Running on treadmill is not all bad. I've logged a few miles that way, okay? So please don't press this, you know. That doesn't, that breaks down. I know it breaks down, okay? Just go with it for the sake of the, uh, the illustration. So it does seem really hard, impossible to get there, okay, to this place of trusting God like Jesus says, like Paul says, when we're running here and not getting anywhere, okay, on the treadmill of our worries. Now, we've got to admit, okay, that there are some reasons why we're running on the treadmill, right? I mean, there aren't any rocks on a treadmill. There's less chance you're going to sprain your ankle on a treadmill. You know, you're comfortable here. It keeps you in the comfort of your own home. You can keep the light on here in your house. This is all metaphorical, okay? It gets dark outside sometimes, okay? But now and then you might just catch a glimpse of those, you know, beautiful rolling hills and long to be traversing them and open freedom, But the thing is, if you try to get out there just by running harder or by your own effort, it seems impossible because it is, okay? But if we are to stop and see, I'm on a treadmill, I'm not going to get anywhere here, then we might step off the treadmill, get outside, start to smell the air, start to hear the birds, start to see the flowers, start to see the sights. If we can catch a glimpse of all the sweet stops along the way and the glory of the destination, then we might actually start more often, not always, but more often to think that we'd be a fool to not get off the treadmill and get outside. Okay? And Jesus is going to do just that. He's going to give us lots of reasons. He's going to give us counter reasons. There's reasons why we stay on the treadmill. There's reasons why we keep being anxious and fearful. But he's going to give us better reasons, stronger reasons to get off of that treadmill. He's going to help us smell and see and hear and taste and touch in Luke chapter 12. And if we pay attention, we might just begin to see that trusting him could be as easy as breathing. And doubting him and being driven How often are we just driven and controlled by fear and anxiety? We might be able to see, we might begin to have eyes to see that that's actually really hard. And it gets you nowhere fast. So let's pray and then we'll dive in here to to Luke 12. Father, if, if we have you, in Christ, then we have everything. And if we have everything and we do not have you, we have nothing. We know that's true in our heads. And we so often live as if it is a obvious lie. pray, Lord, that you would cause us to doubt our doubts, to see how unfounded they are, even though they seem so reasonable. Our causes for fear and anxiety, I pray that we would see the superior rock-solid reasons that you give us 
to trust in you with all of our heart and to live out that Psalms 37 life that, that Greg read earlier. To seek first your kingdom and stop fretting that we don't have certain things that we, again, believe would make us happy and never do. I pray that you would just, just blow up those mirages, expose them for what they are, blow up the lies, and make your gracious, rock-solid reasons land on us with a weight and a force by your Spirit that those doubts would be pressed out. Lord, please make it real. I can't make it real. You alone can make it real in my heart, in any of our hearts. And I pray that you would do that by your spirit, that we would be a people that by our life, by our contentment, by, by our redirected seeking and our appropriate concern, our kingdom seeking and our kingdom concern and our kingdom desires, would show that you are a wonderfully generous, trustworthy, reliable Father. And that if all we have is Christ, we have everything and we're content. And we continue to count all things as loss in view of the surpassing value and worth of knowing Christ Jesus as our Lord. So please help us to fix our eyes on him as we run the race that's set before us so that we run in the right direction on your path, following Jesus, empowered by your gracious promises as happy Christian pilgrims that soon will be home. Please help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we've been away from Luke for a few weeks, so just a brief little reminder of the context. Remember that this morning's passage, verses 22 to 34, um, comes on the heels of that parable of the rich fool. Okay, we looked at that a month ago. And there was this man in the crowd who pipes up with this demand that Jesus settle um, an inheritance issue that he has with his family member. And Jesus replies with this warning. He says, take care... Look at verse 15. It's on page uh, 1038 again in the Pew Bible if you're using that. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he tells the parable of the rich fool, which concludes with these verses. You're probably familiar with the parable. Um, this guy you know, has a bumper crop and he says, what am I going to do? I'm going to just tear down my barns, build bigger ones. And then I can just take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. <clears throat> Very self-focused, lots of me's and I's in this section. And God says to him, verse 20, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? And then this interpretive conclusion, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself, selfishly, and is not rich toward God, not seeking first the kingdom. So on the heels of that section, Jesus then turns to his disciples and he says, verse 22, beginning of our passage for this morning, and he said to his disciples, for this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Okay, for what this is worth, this might be helpful in a message like this. The first thing I would say is he doesn't say, hey, take a look around and identify the rich fools around you and judge them and be an armchair critic of everyone who might have more money than you or might not be as wise and frugal as you. Okay, sometimes that tends to happen when these issues are discussed. Okay, so... Let's be careful that we don't, you know, hope that so-and-so hears this or wish so-and-so is here. Jesus has a word for all of us, 
Okay, we need to look in first and primarily. He says, you, me, don't worry about your life. Why would we worry about our life? We shouldn't. There's all kinds of reasons not to worry about our life or about our body, what we're going to eat, what we're going to put on. And the first one is there. Um, It's actually tied in with the connection of our section to the previous. Okay, so why worry about your life? Let me give you some reasons not to worry about your life. Okay, multiple reasons. Jesus just marshals reason after reason, just lovingly, graciously, stubbornly reasoning with our stubborn souls that are so quick to fret and be anxious and fearful. So, first one. Why? Why should we not worry about our life? Because if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. Okay? And here's where it's the connection between the last section and this section. Do you see how verse 22 starts out? For this reason I say to you. So what he's doing is he's, he's connecting it with what's gone before. So the, the, the flow of thought is something like this. For what reason? Well, back in verse 15, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. For this reason, not to mention the folly of living as if this is not true, you know, in the life of this guy, okay? Um, For this reason, do not worry. In other words, if you try to save your life like this guy did, the rich fool, fool, if you try to center your life and find your life, make your life through what you can obtain and possess and selfishly enjoy, you will lose your life, okay? It's building your house on the sand. So for this reason, don't worry about your life. Because your life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. If you try to save your life and, and make this life for yourself on this earth without thought of eternity, you're going to lose your life. So see how loving and gracious that reason is? Because Jesus lovingly says to us, if anyone wants to follow after me, he's got to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's not a full stop there. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus goes on and says, here's why I'm telling you to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me is because whoever tries to save his life will lose it. I don't want you to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will find it. I want you to find it. Trust me. Okay, so that's reason number one. Second reason, life is more than food and clothes. Verse 23. 22, don't worry about your life. What you're going to eat, body, is what you're going to put on. For, second reason, for life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Okay, well, that's kind of obvious. So we might be tempted to just move on. But I think this is an extremely relevant word for us in our day and age in our culture. And just knowing my heart and knowing a few of you, okay? This is all of us here. What's the point? Why is this a reason not to be anxious about your life? Well, the point is that food is not life. It sustains our bodies so that we can get on with life. Okay? Now, food and clothes are goods. Those are good things. They're good gifts from God. I'm not trying to, you know, preach some ascetic ethic or, you know, the body's bad and the spirit is good. No, no, no. There's got good, good, good. It's all good, okay? But though food and clothes are goods for our body from the Lord, these goods for the body cannot ultimately reach and satisfy our souls. Okay? And when we try to make them ultimate goods, we turn them into idols, we try to turn goods into gods, then they just get twisted and it doesn't work. They don't satisfy us. They are sunbeams to trace back to the source and the author of all satisfaction and life. They're never the source of satisfaction and life. And so when we go to food for comfort, for a refuge, we're turning it into something else. That's not where your life is. Your life is elsewhere. So how many people live to eat? Have you ever seen that tendency in your own soul? I have. How many people are consumed by dieting? That's, there's irony there. 
How many people love, or we could go further and say, are you addicted to cooking shows? <laughs> I mean, it happens. I mean, eating out can become our, our entertainment, and sometimes we've got nothing to talk about except the food. Am I saying that food's a bad thing? No. Am I saying that eating out is a bad thing? No. I'm saying, where's our life? We're going to talk about what is really center, central and what's at the core of our lives. Trust me, I've been convicted of this way too often in my life, okay? So I'm preaching to myself as well. So imagine, here, here maybe this is a helpful illustration as far as what Jesus is saying here. We, we dare not dismiss this reason. I think it's really important. So imagine a man who has a John Deere. Emery, come on, give me a little. Okay, great. Um, John was in the... Uh, Okay, you appreciate that. Forget it. Inside joke. Um, John Deere tractor that's his pride and joy. I'm not saying what's following here is you, Emery. Not at all. Um, so this guy's got this John Deere tractor, and it is his pride and joy. It's his baby. Okay? So imagine he loves to make sure that it's running properly, and he's a little bit obsessive about it. Um, he ends up becoming so obsessive about it that he turns into a gasoline connoisseur on behalf of his tractor. Okay, so he becomes consumed with trying out different, different octane levels and so forth. He spends hour in his, hours in his garage listening to the engine and evaluating how rough or smooth it runs on the various sorts of gasolines that he obtains from various national and international sources. And all the while, his lawn is turning into a jungle. The tractor is built to cut grass. Not to consume gasoline. Now, gasoline's a good thing. Gasoline in a lawnmower's a good thing. So, see the parallels, okay? So, this also talks about clothing. We'll get there in just a second. But just think about how much energy and time goes into our food and into our clothing. This is going to happen. A lot of energy and time is going to happen. So, so I'm going to qualify this because I know you're going to want to just write this off. Especially some of you who have to do this a lot. Like, I do the grocery shopping and I've got to plan the meals. And what are you saying? Okay, I, I'll get there. Just relax, okay? But think about the food thing. How many more food shows are there now than there were 20 years ago? Am I saying you're in sin if you're watching a food show? No, okay? How many foodie blogs are there now? unbelievable. How many cooking magazines? We can act as if the body is for food rather than food for the body so that it can live and get on with life, which is elsewhere, namely seeking first the kingdom. And you can actually seek first the kingdom while you're eating, um, you know, in the way that you like who you're with when you're eating and that kind of thing. So anyway, um, they don't have to be you know, completely separated as if we we're supposed to just run home, eat really quick, and then go out and you know, knock on doors. No. But you might have somebody over to enjoy that meal and talk about Jesus and enjoy the food and what kind of God gives us such wonderful provision, but you're tracing the sunbeams and you're helping other people do the same. And you're using your table as, as an opportunity to reach out to your neighbors as well. So we do not live on bread alone. We don't. But on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay, how many people, all of us maybe, at one level or another, worry too much about clothes? We can live as if the body is for clothes rather than clothes for the body. Okay? And I'm not assuming that I'm just speaking to the women. Okay, I was a teenage boy once. Yeah, I think we look in the mirror and want to make sure we look really cool. Okay, just as much. So our bodies are not there for the sake of clothes. It's the other way around. We're not mannequins. Okay, so clothes are supposed to serve our bodies so that our bodies can get on with glorifying God. It's so easy to get it turned around. What we really ought to get consumed with is... Romans 13, 14, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the Lord's rebuke to Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 
Okay, Proverbs 31, 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So it's just, again, clothes are not a bad thing. You should wear them, okay? Please. Um, and, you know, you can be a penny wise, pound foolish, and I know, blah, 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 blah. We can nuance it to death, but the point is, where's our life? What's most important to us? 1 Peter 3, 4, let the adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable, imperishable beauty. It doesn't get snags. It doesn't get stains. Imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So how much of our lives are consumed by these things? Here's the question I guess I would ask to avoid some of the you know, things that would cause people to rise up. Wait a second. What about, do you think that your life, the amount that you are involved with these things, the way in which you're involved with these things, is there dissonance with what Jesus is saying here or harmony? And I think we need to pursue harmony and we need to be honest about the dissonance. Okay. And we're going to have to wrestle with what this looks like. And we ought to wrestle together personally, and then together. And hopefully we'll do that some tonight at home groups. Okay? So Jesus is actually playing, whether whether we hear it or not initially, Jesus is playing some beautiful music in this passage for us. And our lives are supposed to hear it and then want to echo and harmonize with his music. If it sounds off-key to us, if what Jesus is saying sounds off-key to you, it's not because it's off-key. It's because you and I need the adjustment. Okay, so what's going on in your heart? Are you wanting to dismiss? Maybe you know where this passage goes from here. Are you wanting to dismiss conviction or find reason to dismiss guilt this morning. The goal is not a guilt trip, but if we're guilty, that's a pathway to repentance and moving forward in faith. Or do you want to examine your heart to see if maybe you, if I am more concerned about something other than Jesus and his kingdom? Okay, so if we find ourselves working hard to dismiss application or hold it out at arm's length, that might be a sign that we really need the application. Okay, now, again, I know some of you have to do lots of grocery shopping and cooking. And some of you have, have clothes in your line of work. Does this mean that a Christian can't be involved in those vocations? No, of course not. Does that mean that we should only eat gruel and wear burlap? No. Does this mean that the temptation and the possibility of money worship means that no Christians should be stockbrokers or CFPs? No. But there's two ways of doing those roles. Stockbroker, CFP, grocery shopper, clothes buyer. One of those ways says that you're seeking first the kingdom and seeking not to be ruled by master mammon or ruled by what the world values. And the other says, I, what did I just say? The positive? I lost track. Um, yeah, that was the positive. And another way says that you're not. Okay? So we need to work at working that out, what that looks like, because I hope you want to say with your life, not that money or food or clothes are your master, but that Jesus is your master. And that that's not a, that's not a bum deal. <laughs> Jesus keeps giving us more reasons. I'm going to actually combine the birds and the flowers into one because they're really two illustrations of the same point. Okay, it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. So we'll look at verse 24 and then jump to verses 27 and 28. So look at verse 24. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. It's interesting, actually, that Jesus chooses ravens here. If you go back into Leviticus 11, 
can look at it later, 11.15, a raven was an unclean bird. So in one sense, they were detestable to the Jews. It's kind of like a flying pig, this raven. <laughs> okay? So do you see how strong this argument is? It's, it's stronger than if it was just a sparrow or a pigeon. A pigeon. That was a clean bird. It's stronger. God cares even for the birds that would be unacceptable as sacrifices to him. He cares for the lowest of lowly animals. Ravens were, what were they? They were rapacious. Okay, they're scavengers, and God provides for them. And so if he provides for them, how much more for you, disciple for whom he died? Look down at verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? Again, argument from the lesser to the greater. God is just, maybe not today. Is it going to rain? It is raining. Um, God is the fashion designer and tailor for the here today, gone tomorrow flowers and grass of the field. Go to Longwood today, or not, uh, yeah, not today, or take an umbrella, still be beautiful, and go obey this command. Do you ever think about that? You, you can actually, you, you're supposed to do this. Com- consider. This is a command to obey. Go out and obey this command. Consider the birds. Consider the flowers. Get off that treadmill of worry. And sometimes the best thing you can do is get outside and smell the roses. Look at the roses. Look at the, think about the God of, of the flowers and the birds. Okay. So if you just go out and you see, especially in this area, I, I don't know. There's some trees and flowers and bushes out here that they're not in the Midwest. And some of the colors and the designs, it's just mind blowing. So bright and vibrant. The intricacy, the varied nature of these things. And then just think about how long those exhibits last. We have a magnolia tree. How long does that last? This is unbelievable. You know, this explosion in our yard. And then all that stuff's on the ground in a matter of days. What does that say? What does that say about God? We need to listen. We need to smell and look and listen. And then ask ourselves if we should be consumed with clothes or with the kingdom of the one who gives us better clothes now in Christ and promises the putting on of immortality forever. In a new heavens and a new earth that just makes this look like shadows and mist and husks and ashes. Who can cover your shame? Who can clothe you with the righteousness of Christ? Us dirty, defiled, shame-filled sinners with stains and blemishes all over that we want to hide just like Adam and Eve in the garden. Where does that covering come from? Only from a God who is so compassionate and merciful and gracious that he cares for ravens and flowers that are here today, gone tomorrow. And he sent his son because we're so much greater in value to him. He sent his son so that we could be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And we could be promised clothing of immortality. We hate death. We hate that we're wasting away. But we don't have to lose heart because even though inwardly we're wasting, outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day because this light and momentary affliction is producing us an eternal weight of glory that just far outweighs them all. So he can clothe us with the righteousness of Christ. He can He can adorn our lives with good works. He can make us shine like the sun. And then he's going to clothe us with immortality and glory one day that's beyond our wildest imagination. Fourth reason why we ought not to worry, but rather trust. Verses 25 and 26, it doesn't do any good. 
Look at verse 25. Which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life's span? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, (laughs) to God that's a little thing. To us that's an impossible thing, okay? Adding an hour to life. Why do you worry about other matters? I don't know if this one needs explained as much as it needs preached to ourselves in the moment. Okay, so tie together last week and this week. And so when we are worrying, do you ever do this? Do you do this? When you're worrying, do you just say, oh, I'm so anxious, and you go and eat something? (laughs) Oh, I'm so anxious. I need to turn the TV on. Oh, I'm so anxious. You know, or, or I'm so anxious, I need to preach to myself. Do you do that? I don't think this one needs explained. I think we just need to remind ourselves of it, saying, okay, time out, self, soul. Psalm 42 is, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Hope in God. Let me give you some reasons. Psalm 103 is, Bless the Lord, oh my soul. What am I doing complaining here? I need to be reminded of all these blessings that are mine in Christ. I need to rehearse the gospel. And so when we're worrying, we say, okay, wait, 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 wait. Jesus, oh, he gave us so many good reasons to bombard our soul with, to pull us out or maybe off the treadmill, off the the hamster wheel of worry. Here's one. It's not going to do me any good. It's only going to do me harm. This is like the Proverbs reason, okay? This is just like wisdom 101. And yet we need to remind ourselves of it. We need this. So so sock this thing away for that moment. Okay, fifth reason. Your father knows what you need. Verse 30. Luke, let's catch the context. Verse 29. Do not seek what you will eat, what you will drink. Do not keep worrying. Why? Why, Jesus? Do you know what I'm going through? Because all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. Talk about that in a minute. Connection between worrying and seeking. But your Father knows that you need these things. So there's really two reasons there. Don't keep worrying. Don't seek what you'll eat and what you'll drink. Because, one, all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, and you're not among them, right? You're one of my disciples. You're in a new kingdom. You're a new people. And reason two is, for your father knows that you need these things. Okay, are you no different from the nations of the world? Aren't you a new people with new values and new hopes and new joys and new loves and new promises? Don't you know that your father knows that you need these things? You can trust your father. So again, there's a good reason to get off the treadmill, get our eyes fixed on Jesus, and run the race that's set before us. So, why worry about our lives? We've got all these reasons not to, but why do we worry about our lives? We'll turn all of those reasons on their head, and you'll see it. We worry. Why do we worry? Because we think that life is here and now, and in food and clothes. That, that's, where, that's where life is for me today. That's where some, some satisfaction and significance and meaning and, and joy, and that's where it's going to come. Or because we think God doesn't care and won't provide if we don't. Or because we foolishly or arrogantly think that it's going to do some good if we worry, which... It's obvious that that's unbelief. I think sometimes underneath it, it's this, well, you know, if God's not going to worry about me, at least I will. And we take matters into our own hands because we don't like the circumstances. And it's hard in the face of some questions and some uncertainty to really believe that God's going to take care of us. And so, you know, it's obvious, obvious that he's not doing it. I, I better worry about this thing. Which is why in First Peter, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, casting your cares on him because he cares for you. Not casting your cares and owning your cares and shouldering your cares and fretting about your cares is actually prideful. 
Because we're not trusting our Father. We're taking the burden ourselves. We're taking matters into our own hands. And then turn the next one on its head. We doubt our Father's love and reliability. Your Father knows that you need these things. But we live like orphans. We live like abused children in the way that we grab and hoard and hide and put our arms around our stuff selfishly. Okay, so again, these are reasons that Jesus graciously, lovingly marshals against our unbelief, one after the other after the other, against our anxiety. Now, like I said, I want to connect some dots here. And I think it will help us as we walk through life and are aware of what's going on in our hearts and learn how to preach to ourselves and trust the Lord and wrestle with these things. Um, I want you to see the connection between worrying and seeking. Look at verses 29 to 31. And look for those words, the seeking language and the worrying language. Okay? Do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink. And do not keep worrying. Sounds thus far like those are two different things, two separate things. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things, but seek first his, or seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do you see the connection? Maybe it's obvious. You can see it in the text here. That's obvious. Seeking is evidence of stuff that you're really concerned about, that you really want, okay? And worrying is exposing the things that you're really after if they're threatened. So seeking and worrying are very closely interlinked, just like desire and fear. If you see a desire in your life, there's a corresponding fear. If you see a fear, it's because there's something that you want that's threatened. Okay? It's pretty obvious. So if, if you see something that you're really going hard after and seeking, that's the stuff you'll tend to worry about, tend to be anxious about, because that's what you're concerned about. It's what you value. I guess one of the reasons why I raise that is because if you're not the worry wart type, if you're kind of like, you know, I, I, I'm kind of a type B personality, pretty laid back, you might be tempted to dismiss or downplay this passage. <laughs> I don't have to worry about what I'm going to wear. You know, I don't even match half the time. Okay, what I eat, I'll eat anything. Okay, but what are you after? What are you concerned about? And what Jesus wants us to be concerned about is his kingdom. So Paul, listen to this, Paul can use the same word. In Philippians 4, he says, don't be anxious for anything. And then in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, he says, apart from all these external things, is my anxiety for all the churches. Paul was concerned about the kingdom. (laughs) He didn't care about his life, but he really cared about these people that he was investing in. So do you see how it's really important to see the connection between what you are anxious about, concerned about, and what you're after, what you're seeking? Does that make sense? See that connection? Yes? Okay. <clears throat> David Garland made an insightful comment. He said, if you don't heed Jesus' warning, you may have plenty to live on, but nothing to live for. Have you ever been frustrated by this? I don't know. This is like transparency confession time. I, one of the things that exposes me and bugs me is when I'm, let's say I'm alone with Beth or sometimes with different people and I have nothing to say 
about the Lord. And I my, just my my whole being kind of inclines to talk about this or this. Again, there's nothing wrong with talking about sports. Or blah, blah, blah. Okay, yeah, I know. But have you ever had that kind of awkwardness with another person where you know that Or maybe you're forced into a context to talk about the Lord with someone and you just don't have anything to say. Have you ever had that happen? Am I the only one? Does that ever bother you? I guess what I'm saying is Jesus loves us enough to say, I'm fighting for your values here. I'm fighting for your affections, your heart. I don't want you to put your affections in your heart and your value and concern and your anxiety and your love and your seeking in such small, little, fragile things. Seek first the kingdom. I'll take care of the rest. Trust me. There's so much more life over here. And that's when I feel most alive is when I'm so alive to God in Christ and all of his grace and mercy and kindness, and I'm giving that to other people. So, I'm convicted, but... The conviction is not an end in itself. It's so that we would wake up. I'm on a treadmill. (laughs) Okay? Look out the window, get off the treadmill, and let's run to the hills. Another thing to see is that these passages are all faith issues. You see it there in verse 28. Don't be anxious. You can't add a bit to your life by it. It does no good. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, how much more he clothe you, you men of little faith. Jesus is saying, trust the Father. He knows what you need. He'll take care of you. All of your worries, all of my worries, listen to this, all of our worries are theological. Every single one of them. All of our anxieties are vertical. Even if we're obsessing at this horizontal level, you know, So all of these reasons that Jesus preaches to us are aimed to bolster our faith in God, to help us to look up and say, man, all these reasons underneath my treadmill are are sand. What am I doing? Look at all these reasons to trust in God. Preach these reasons to ourselves and not listen to our anxious selves. I'm not trying to press anyone and like stick my finger in your, you know, chest and back you into the corner. But I just, I'm, I'm going to ask you because I want this to be practical. I want to know, are we really going to just grab this and go with it and actually seek to change by God's word, by his grace, by his spirit? Is anyone just being dismissive with this right now in your heart? Have you ever tried this? <laughs> I said it a little bit along these lines last week with Psalm 42. When we're really filled with anxiety, we've got really hard circumstances, we just, somebody says something like that to us and we just, you have no idea. Okay, time out. Maybe we don't, but Jesus does, okay? And he's saying, I've got all these reasons for you. Why do you keep stiff arming me? Have you tried them? I love you. Would you try these? Okay, so if some of us are just, riddled with anxiety. Have you never done battle like this with your unbelief? If you haven't, stop talking about how. Stop complaining. You are refusing the very grace that is intended to undo and overcome that anxiety. You're striking a truce with unbelief. We need to make war. And there's so many wonderful weapons right here. And here's the most powerful one, and should I do this next week? (laughs) Let me just hit this quickly, and maybe we will do it next week. If you want to talk about solid food upon which our weak faith, you're right here, both hands up, weak faith, If you want to talk about some seriously strong foundation under your feet, not the quicksand underneath the hamster wheel or the treadmill, to strengthen us and give us courage in the face of 
challenging trials where we would be tempted to be anxious and be controlled by that anxiety. This is it right here. The expulsive power of a sure and superior promise. Verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock. I love the mixture of metaphors. So let his shepherding grace and his person as the good and the great shepherd just land on you with weight. Receive that, welcome that, ponder him as your good shepherd. With him as your good shepherd, you shall not want. What's the nature of this shepherd? He laid down his life for the sheep. He's not a hireling. He doesn't run when the wolves come. He lays across the door because if anybody's going to get to you, they've got to go through him first. That's the kind of shepherd. So don't be afraid, little flock. It's me. It's me. I'm talking to you. Your shepherd. And then I'm your father too. Your father has not begrudgingly, not dutifully, but chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. That needs to be memorized and meditated on it. Just put it on simmer on the front burner of your soul for the next couple of weeks and just see what kind of work it could produce. What kind of joy and peace and contentment and settledness how it could propel you to seek first the kingdom that's already been given to you. (laughs) Let's stop there. Can we sing All I Have is Christ? Okay. Let me pray. Oh God, I pray that this would land, even if it's hard and heavy, that it would land as good news, loving, gracious, straightforward, look us in the eye, conviction. Because Jesus is that serious about pulling us off the treadmill and and leading us up into the fresh air and the life on the rough but wonderful path of seeking first your kingdom. So Lord, please show us the superior and the sure nature of all of these greater reasons and awaken and fan into flame our faith and our confidence in you and our desire to live like happy pilgrims because we've been given everything. And so we don't have to try to make our life here because you've given us our life here and forever. Please make it real, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.